Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The Art of Waging Small Business Warfare Podcast, teaching Davids how to defeat Goliaths. Now here's your host, Mark Anthony Peterson. Welcome back to the podcast for entrepreneurs, startups, and business mavericks. If you're not a maverick, you don't have to go home, but you got to get up out of this podcast. In this podcast, we teach entrepreneurs how to defeat the corporate giant. Just like in the story of David and Goliath, David defeated a much taller and stronger Goliath, not by fighting the giant in hand-to-hand combat, but by using technology. A slingshot. The slingshot allowed the smaller David to attack from a distance that minimized the advantages that Goliath had over the smaller David. My name is Mark Anthony Peterson. I'm a serial entrepreneur, a futurist, and the managing executive at Serial Consulting a leading small business strategy and technology consulting firm. I am also the author of the book Gorilla Panor, Small Business Strategy for Davids Wanting to Defeat Goliath, which is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. This podcast is brought to you by Sierra Consulting, 
an idea can launch a business, a strategy can take it global. Guys, I want to remind you that we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash gorillapreneur. We're trying to do some great things in the Black Belt South, specifically in Selma, Alabama. We want to open a fab lab to give entrepreneurs and startups the opportunity to have access to tech that will help them grow. We also want to expand our Selma Business Pitch Contest, which is going to be held this year, December the 8th, at Edgewood Elementary School in Selma, Alabama. We're opening it up to for-profits and non-profits to come in and pitch their ideas for a chance to win cash prizes and business support. Join the tribe and help us make these movements a reality. Today we have a really exciting show, some bonus material, where I was interviewed on Dr. D. Anthony Miles' show, Game On Business Talk, and we discussed how to create Wakanda. Yes, Wakanda, that fictional high-tech city in West Africa where black businesses were thriving. We figured it out, and you need to check out this episode so you can hear everything that we discussed and figured out and shared with you as gems that can be used to purchase the tech and the capital and the ideas that are needed to kick off a Wakanda right here in America. It's an exciting episode. Please leave us your feedback. Follow us at Twitter on Gorilla, at Gorillapreneur, Facebook, and Instagram, and let us know what you think of this episode. Please go in and like this episode, share this episode, share the love, and join the tribe. Now, check out me being interviewed for Game on Business Talk by Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Hi, this is Game on Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles. We have an awesome show for you today. You're going to need a Bible and a seatbelt. And uh, we have an awesome guest on our show today. I have an entrepreneur. I like him already. And uh, we have uh, Mark Anthony Peterson. And he's a CEO and owner of uh, Sierra Consulting. So, Mark, welcome to Game On Business Talk. Dr. Miles, thank you so much for having me on your show. I absolutely appreciate having the opportunity to have a conversation with someone with your distinguished background. Uh, in business and marketing and marketing research and stats that uh, I'm looking forward to learning as much from you as I am hoping to share with your audience. Oh, I appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much. All right. You can call me D. Like I said, we, have, we both out here trying to get this paper, right? <laughs> That's right. Trying to stack it up high. <laughs> there you go. I appreciate it. So, um, Mark, tell me some about your background and tell me how you started your company and uh, tell me, let's trade some war stories. I'd definitely love to hear okay. how you got started your company. I got to college and launched a business, started a grocery store. Uh, wow, that's awesome. Then Goodness. I got to media, getting, taking over the college's hot dog carts. I went to school in the upper northeast uh, United States where it was really cold, lots of snow, and when I bought the, uh, the grocery store on, kids had not had the opportunity to buy a lot of things because the community was so small. So that took off and did well, and I expanded to other campuses. Uh, but the wow. hot dog park was one that where the college thought that they could provide some different food options since we had a centralized dining facility. 
They right. thought, hey, we'll put hot dogs on the carts on the other end of campus, and for those who could make it in between classes to the cafeteria, great. If not, they could stop by a hot dog cart. They never could make it work. Uh, so I went to the dean said, I'll take them off your hands. I'll make it work. Uh, first week, he was like, where are the hot dog carts? I said, just give me a minute. I've got to figure out my plan. That next week, and I brought them out when everything was closed, and I parked them all along Fraternity Row. Uh, <laughs> and there's no competition. And even with my prices doubled, I couldn't keep up with demand. And it was wow. one of the makers. Yeah. So, you know, business at that point really um, got me pretty passionate uh, about figuring out ways to not only create value, but, you know, to move beyond what I saw those in both those cases. How do I build more capacity? How do I take on the big guys? And luckily in those two instances, I had a captive audience with the grocery store and I had the opportunity to treat fraternity well, kind of like an airport because everybody else was closed so I could get premium prices. Um, there you go. That's, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> wow. Right. You, that's, that's, that was so smart. Wow. Cool. So I, from that, from that background, I started to see a couple of things. People were coming out of the woodwork to give me advice. And some of the best advice I got during that time period in college was, if you can help it, always work for yourself. Because if you do that, you can start building wealth as opposed to just getting a paycheck. And that stuck with me. Awesome. Uh, I launched a company, which was a biometrics company that collected all sorts of unique identifiers on individuals, face, signature, voice, fingerprint, components, uh, including capturing the types of fingerprints that police officers capture to submit to the FBI. Then 9-11 came along, and our federal government said, anybody who can be fingerprinted for a background check, we want it done because we can't go with name-based checks anymore and call that a secure background check. Talk about timing. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> that was where, you know, a hard work met God's uh, intervention because I never wanted 9-11 to happen, but it did. And we just happened to be in a spot with the right type of technology that let a small company uh, take on the giant. We had a system that was ahead of the market at the time. It was a different paradigm, and it was kind of the precursor to what we call the sharing economy today, where fingerprints were collected on paper cards or they were collected on really big, expensive machines that cost about $200,000 a piece. And oh, even your dear. biggest organizations, yeah, they were huge, about the size of an old deep freeze. Mm -hmm. uh, and only your, your biggest organizations had them. Uh, New York Police Department had them, Citibank, Wells Fargo, big organizations, but after that, not nearly many people had them. We had the idea to take those machines and put them in centralized locations in major cities and then network them using websites and let anybody who needed to be fingerprinted use our machine. So we sold oh. capacity instead of selling machines, and we sold it by the transaction. And that gave us our first taste of kind of a shared service, a shared economy model. And we expanded to over 500 locations globally and served every major large bank, governments, many of the uh, states that required fingerprinting, used our, our infrastructure and our backbone to get people fingerprinted. And it was a terrific business. And it gave me, like I said, the opportunity to take on guys like Lockheed Martin, EDS, and a lot of other major government contractors who wanted to provide that service to these states and to these government agencies. 
That is totally awesome. But I love some of the things that you're saying. A lot of times it's just getting on first base, isn't it? And then right. when you get on first base, then you then you're you're sitting in a comfortable position. I wouldn't say comfortable, but you're in a competitive position. Anybody comes right. after you, they got to go through you. And you're if you're the man, and you corner the market. You pretty much just gonna be very difficult for somebody to come in and shake you down or shake up the marketplace unless they bring in a new technology. And that's just awesome how you figured that out. That is just awesome. Wow. <laughs> oh, it was exciting, but it was also terrifying. At times, you know, mm-hmm. we were running this out of our garage. Lucky, for example, they are the company that built the FBI database. So all uh-huh. the fingerprints that that the uh, government uses for background checks, they built that system. So when they came and said, we want to be in this market, at that point, you got to, you know, go look in the mirror and say, what am I made of? Because these guys waste more money than I've ever seen. And oh, that wow. really forces you back on your heels to say, do I have a strategy? Can I use the David and Goliath approach to be more flexible, to be more nimble, and, and stay ahead of these guys? Because if I can't, they're the Goliath. If I'm too mm-hmm. slow, they're going to cut me in half, and we won't have a business. And that's, you asked me, how did I get Sierra Consulting started? That's where Sierra Consulting came from, because the lessons I learned in fighting EDS and Lockheed are the lessons that I now try to teach small and medium-sized businesses when it comes to competing in their categories against the, the Goliaths of, uh, of, their, of their time. That is an awesome story. I'm just uh, curious. Um, I see that uh, when we start businesses, uh, sometimes we're just not we're just not up to speed on the marketplace. And you and you seem to be a visionary. You seem to see things before they come to fruition. And I think that's a critical skill that entrepreneurs need to have. And if you right. want to talk about the differences between being an employee and being an entrepreneur, that is one of the advantages an entrepreneurs have. That's the character, behavior characteristics that we have. I look at things before anybody else sees them. And then when I see the opportunity, I jump on it before everybody else does. And that's what mm-hmm. people don't understand. And you, you just exemplify that. Entrepreneurs right. don't do things when everybody else do them. They do them before or after. You and that's what people spot on. Ahead. You know, I'm just, I'm just saying, hallelujah! I'm in the, I'm in the mm-hmm. choir behind you. You are preaching, absolutely. We, that's why people, and and and, and uh, I love talking about this. This is, this is what I'm, I think I'm lifted. I think everybody's an entrepreneur. They just, it just comes out of them at different times. And, and I was telling somebody this on the show that I was on. I was saying, entrepreneurs tend to be people that look at things. They turn problems into opportunities. When they see a problem, they go, I can fix that problem, and I can, I can make it an economic benefit to me. But and I always ask people to start a business, and I know you agree with this. If you've got a business, what problem are you solving? Because if you're mm-hmm. not solving problems, you're not making money. Right. Exactly. And, that, and I know you would like this, because that's what separates people from millionaires, people from mm-hmm. billionaires, whatever. You got a business. What problem are you solving and who are you solving it for? I got a consulting practice. I do leadership. I said, okay, well, I know this from coming out of the business field. People don't call people when they have leadership problems. People call people when they have management problems. There you go. So you might want to reframe leadership because you tell somebody, I help people with leadership problems. They're like, really? What is that? Mm-hmm. Right. 
And it's, exactly. It's basically, exactly. And, and, and if you're going to build a business, the business has to solve a problem. And, uh, and you solved the problem. You, you're centralizing all of those uh, fingerprints. Nobody was doing that before. Matter of fact, many of the people in the industry laughed at us uh-huh. when we first announced the concept. I went to all of the manufacturers of those big machines, and I said, mm-hmm. will you please give me your SDK, your, your software development kit, so I can connect my proprietary software mm-hmm. to your system? And the CEOs of those companies said, well, what do you want to do that for? I said, so I can be an independent sales agent for you. And he said, well, how much commission am I going to have to pay you? And I said, none. I'll even buy some of your machines. Just give me the opportunity to connect and link your hardware to my software. And he said, if you're going to sell and not take a commission, you can have the SDK. And each one of them did it, (laughs) not knowing that I was going to build this network to be able to allow my software to actually control all the pieces of hardware in the market. That see, gave that's us a selling school. advantage. That's old school. You know? Those guys that, I, and I know you've seen a movie, Pirates of Silicon Valley. They right. they they're still stuck in this this the hard the hardware stuff. Well, mm-hmm. computers, the future computers is uh, hardware. No, it's not a software. There you just go. like just like uh, I have an account with eFax, right? I never thought that I could take my fax machine and put it on a digital website and anything I need to fax, I just run it through them. I don't have to have a physical fax machine. Exactly. These, these guys are like Neanderthals and finally, you know, most of them have died off, but they were stuck in the, in the era where they thought hardware was the dominant thing. And it's not, it's the software that's, right. that's the dominant thing. And that's exactly what I saw. And I saw that there were core sets of my customers that had significant problems. Wells Fargo, uh-huh. for example. Oh, you think wow. Of Wells Fargo, people just think of Wells Fargo as just a bank. Right. Well, they're really multiple organizations under one umbrella. They're an insurance company. Uh-huh. They're a bank at the federal level. They're a bank at the state level. They're yes, a mortgage company. So when uh-huh. you have all these different companies, if you are an employee that works across those different divisions, you have to be fingerprinted for each one of those divisions that you work in. So, That's so inefficient, isn't it? <laughs> yes. None of my other competitors were doing that. They were charging them or they were getting charged by the police department to produce five or six or ten paper cards per person so that they could mail them off to the FBI, whereas I captured them once, automatically submitted them, and I managed the data on this round trip back from the FBI. You so did it digitally, up, right? You did it digitally, digitally. right. That's Goodness. right. And so... Results were coming back from paper cards in 18 weeks. We were getting results back in 12 seconds. And we were, <laughs> so the value proposition, like you said, what problem are you solving? And then when you solve that problem, you know, like you said, once we solved it and sort of showed that it could work, uh-huh. I had to take on that, that Wakanda attitude. I'm, I'm writing a blog post now that mm-hmm. says, uh, what are the five things you can learn from Black Panther? Oh, uh, I love it. Love it. The first thing that I learned was the, the, the early in the movie, the king's sister walked up to him and said, the technology, I've improved it. He said, improved it. It's already good. She said, good. Doesn't mean it can't be better. And that's one of the things that we have. That to was see. a pivotal scene, yeah. wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yes. But it, it, that one hit me right between the eyes because your large competitors have unlimited dollars, and they're going to come after that market. If you don't continue making good into great, and reinventing that, 
eventually you will lose your lead and lose your company and your market. So we had I to tell you, I totally so, agree with you. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. I think you have to reinvent yourself every five years because your customers get yeah, tired you know. of it. And, and, you know, they teach us in business school, and I know you're familiar with the five forces of the industry. This is what they don't tell you. Absolutely. Business is not an end game. You don't keep winning and winning and winning and don't get a loss. Your competitors catch That's up right. to you. Either they're going to meet right. you or surpass you, but you're not mm-hmm. going to always have a competitive advantage. So for, for you to maintain any type of competitive advantage, you always have to be on a new frontier. You always right. have to seize the new thing before everybody else gets there. You know, the first base thing. Because if you, it's, it's, it's like I was telling somebody, Mark, uh, Mark when, you wanna, when you wanna create wealth, and I was telling, why, the guy was asking me something in the interview. He said, um, how come African Americans are not wealthy, more wealthy than they are? I said, well, I could tell you that. What industry do we dominate? We don't dominate any industry, we don't own any industry. The Italians used to run the uh, food, the waste business, right? The mm-hmm. Greeks used to run the, uh, what is it, the produce business. The uh, the uh, Jewish community used to run some of the, uh, the the stores and merchants or whatever. In building and real estate, right? What industry right. do African Americans own? We don't own, right. we don't dominate an industry. Hip hop is right. not an industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's music, mm-hmm. but it's not an industry. I mean, could you say the black hair care product was the industry once dominated? Yeah, till everybody sold to the to the Asian market. So the Asians mm-hmm. run a black hair care market, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, even though black women, even though black women spend thirteen billion dollars a year uh-huh. on health and beauty aids, we have no dominant player that's absorbing the majority of that thirteen billion. Exactly. So if we ever gonna create a new Wakanda, and I have a movie with such an inspiration. We have to dominate an industry because right. once you dominate an industry, you create wealth and ecosystems. And if you don't right. dominate an industry, like when you get into an industry that's already dominated, you're always going to be playing catch up. And right. I keep telling right. these young brothers, you know, hip hop, you don't own hip hop. They give you the illusion that you own it because they see you on the videos, but you don't own hip hop. Mm-mm. It's a culture, it's a music, it's an attitude, but you don't own it. Yeah, and, yeah, I'm right with you. I, I tell I tell a lot of the young brothers the same thing. I mm-hmm. said until you own the picks and shovels of an industry, you don't own that industry. You just you know, a, a participant in the industry, a and when they, and if 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 we can dominate, get, the way you dominate an industry is to jump on the newest thing and be a dominant player, and then everybody else have to come after you. But until we right. have that mindset, we know mm-hmm. like what you did, you dominated an uh, industry within itself with those fingerprint things. You keep create that choke point, that 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 bottleneck in that industry where everybody has to go through you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, same Warren way Bill Gates call that a tall bridge business. Every time you get mm-hmm. paid, they got to go through you. That's right. <laughs> and Bill Gates is probably the first one to do it in in in, in high tech with the operating system. Oh yeah, could could have exactly. put, put a computer out there. You know, uh, mm-hmm. a PC without having his operating system on it, and then he just spider webbed out from that choke mm-hmm. point to dominate so many other pieces. But you, you have so many great companies that forget this lesson. Walmart, 15 years ago, had the mm-hmm. opportunity to buy Amazon after what? they had choked off. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, they had wow. the opportunity to buy Amazon with pocket change and chose not to because. 
they became stagnant with what they had built to dominate the industry. They were so the, dominant, you know, success right. makes you complacent sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're making a billion dollars, well, how do you tell a billionaire you can make more money? Like, really? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I can. It's to keep reinventing yourself. Sometimes Absolutely. you gotta let go of the uh, of the of the of one branch to climb to the next one, and they wouldn't let go of inventory management, brick and mortar stores uh, mm-hmm. to move to the next level of being able to aggregate demand on the internet. And so, you know, now Amazon is almost an uncontrollable beast, and Walmart's playing catch up. It's uh, really scary, we, isn't it? Yeah, it's really yeah. scary. I uh, and that's, did, uh, I love it though. I love it because you know Amazon represents the gorillapreneur. There was a time when Walmart was the was the gorillapreneur, where they were the mm-hmm. a single store taking on Kmart, and Kmart laughed at them. Uh, and Walmart built the new technology, the inventory management system that allowed mm-hmm. them to move those Walmart trucks faster to store to store and restock them. Faster uh-huh. than any other retailer, and they dominated. But then Amazon came along, and they laughed at Amazon. So now the gorillapreneur is hunting the giant, and the giant, I don't know if they're going to make it. I think Amazon has them on the heels. So we'll see. You think, you think, that, you think Walmart has peaked? You think they, they can't do any more than what they're doing? I think they can do a ton more of what they're doing. They just can't get out of the way of the status quo. When you're making totally sixty. $60 billion a year from a company, it's hard to walk away from that business model and start something new. And I so totally until agree. They, until they either spin out a division with the resources that can take on Amazon, that current management cannot split their time between running a $360 billion behemoth and trying to fight Amazon. It's just too complex for them. Because I think Amazon way. is the monster that Walmart is seeing. Walmart sees them themselves on Amazon because remember, anytime something new comes out, it's going to get bigger and bigger until you get in on the mm-hmm. ground floor and be a part investor. In it. And then when that baby turns into an adult, you can't mm-hmm. deal with the adult. But you should have dealt with it when it was a baby. But now when it was an adult. Baby. You can't. Yeah, exactly. And uh, while I think Walmart has crested, which and I mm-hmm. think that's what you're basically saying. I totally agree. And I think that. That was opportunity to pass them by. They didn't get that baby. So now that baby's That's a right. grown man. <laughs> That's right. And these are the kind of lessons I try to sit down, particularly with a lot of African-American businesses, and say, okay, mm-hmm. what can we glean from this in helping you figure out how to dominate? And like you said earlier, the first thing mm-hmm. I want them to do is to examine, am I doing something that's disruptive? Is it creating exactly. unique value? And if it's not doing those two things, they don't have a business. They just created a job for themselves. So well, like, a hobby back. you get make a little change, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm just. I'm just. I just. You just created a hustle. You. You're uh-huh. not. You're not. You haven't become an entrepreneur yet because you mm-hmm. haven't created something that's sustainable. I was telling somebody this in one of the interviews I did. I said. Uh, African Americans, it's in our DNA to be entrepreneurs because we've been so discriminated against. We have to go start our own thing. And we've sent when the Industrial Revolution started, we kinda sense I think we kinda lost that and then integration happened, we kinda lost that. We happy to have a job now and, and I've always looked at having a job means that somebody can decide how much money you can make for how long you can make it. And then when you get too old they make you retire. Is that pretty much the, the, the game plan for life? 
get graduate from college, get a job, mm-hmm. get in a country, get in a company, try to get the the the, the corporate uh, bells and whistles and the perks. And next thing you know, you know, you ain't the guy no more. They bringing in new talent. And, right. and, 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 and I always looked at a job and it took me a long time to figure this out, Mark. Always look at a job as an apprenticeship for you to start your own business. Mm-hmm. Don't just be complacent and be happy because you're making six figures. Because if they can pay you six figures, they can pay somebody else six figures. Right. Okay. And people and more likely they're looking to pay somebody five figures for what they're paying you six figures for. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> right? Exactly. We we, we we got too many of us that are complacent. And one of the things I like about coming here to Atlanta is I see the entrepreneurial spirit and we need to that needs to be pervasive in the African American community. Just don't mm-hmm. be happy getting that college degree. Take that college degree and go, okay. What do you know better than anybody else? And what how can you get somebody to pay you for what you know on a contract basis? Mm-hmm. And there's all kind of opportunities all, all around you. I got to- Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Just look at them. Opportunities yeah. are like your buses, and you, you don't miss that bus. You, you catch the next one, but if you miss that other one, don't look back at it because you you missed that bus. Yeah, no, you are you are nailing it. We have always had the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I what I, I take it a step further. People today are marveling at the shared economy, the Ubers, the Airbnbs, but. Mm-hmm. For real, we invented that stuff before the technology came along. Absolutely. Dr. King used a ride-sharing service to beat the Montgomery bus line that was discriminating against us. 
That they, is a really interesting observation. I never right? thought of it like that. Yeah. For a year and a day, they moved black people all around Montgomery and got them to their jobs and got them home and kept them off those buses to bring that man to his knees and bring that city to its knees and make them stop the discrimination. Dr. That, that, King's gangster are you, right there, ain't it? That's <laughs> right. So we've been using shared services and shared economy tactics for as long as we have been in this country because we didn't have the capital to buy assets. And when someone could afford the asset, we treated it like a community capability and used it over and over. And I'm, when mm-hmm. I say what I mean by that, Dr. King, we weren't allowed to be in hotels. So we had the original Airbnbs. We stayed in, Mon- in Selma, Alabama for a year for free. With someone that said, we got to make this country move forward. And he had to have somewhere to stay. So they found him a place to stay through what we used to call social media back then, Jack and Jill clubs. Right. So we had social, social clubs. They weren't social media, but they were social clubs, but they formed the backbone of the social networks that we had that helped us share services. My dad, when he went to go to a college interview, he didn't have a suit. But he put the word out that he was going to Selma to interview at a college. And by the end of the day, someone was walking up his street with a suit that fit him that he could wear up there for that interview. So all these new shared uh, companies that are coming online that are sharing appliances and sharing cars, we were doing it long before. We just didn't have the Internet for us to globalize it. So it's in our DNA. Now we just got to figure out how to monetize it and take it to the billion dollar level where we can truly start having an impact on our communities. Cause I totally, I totally, I totally love what you said. When you, you have to take what you do, figure out how to monetize it and marketize it. Cause That's monetizing right. it means, and, and I, and this is the way I think, I don't want to get paid once. I want to get paid multiple times. I believe in a theory of multiple streams. I'm not multiple streams. I believe in a theory of residual income. I don't want right. to do something over and over. I want to get paid once. And then I multiply that times astronomical number of people because they and create a toll bridge business. You can't get to mm-hmm. this. You go through me. And when we start thinking like that, that's what we're going to create new millionaires and new billionaires. That's right. That's exactly right. And we, when we can get to that point, like you said earlier, when we can get entrepreneurs who can truly recognize value, they're going to become millionaires. When they can create Absolutely. capacity and scale, they're going to become billionaires. And that's, that's where we, we kind of get stuck. I was talking with a young lady that has a cookie business, and uh-huh. she has a unique ingredient, mealworms. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. you think of mealworms, you think of that's what you feed your chickens. But everywhere else outside of the United States, mm-hmm. that's a protein substitute for a cow. Really? So she, uh-huh, mealworms are used as protein. People cook with them, make them ingredients in all types of dishes, but not in the United States. We haven't gotten to that point yet where we – are using it as a food source, but she's trying to introduce it in this market. And she's having limited success. And I said, well, why didn't she launch your, your product in Africa? Right, and, right. Uh, and, to just, and you should have seen the look in her eyes. It was like, huh, I never thought of that. We forget that there's a whole continent of people who look just like us. And Absolutely. that our, our forefathers and our ancestors and our cousins, and they have the same likes and desires and needs as we do, and we forget that as a market when we're launching products here. And their government so, will give you money if you go over there and yes. set that up. Yeah, that's what people don't that's what I was telling them. 
Exactly. So wow. I said, your market is, and I said, plus the countries that you, that we're thinking about, they already consume mealworms. Your cookie could be a huge hit over there. And once you have an established base there, don't you think you could take some of that money and build a market here? If you're a big giant over there? Absolutely. See, we don't know how to, see, we don't, we have the inability to sometimes to think big. We, you know, I always say this, white folks on Mission Impossible, brothers on Mission Incredible. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Dr. Miles, I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> you go ahead, bro. I can't take credit for it. <laughs> That's perfect. We're going to steal it, and then we're going to change that mindset because we got to get up to Mission Impossible. Right. Yeah, we, 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 we got to think like, hey, I don't want to just be in the game. I want to dominate the game. I want, I want to, every time somebody, somebody spend a dollar, I want 30, 40 cents off that dollar repeatedly. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's like, I was, I was telling a brother, we were talking and he was like, he's trying to do his thing with the, you know, the landscaping. I said, let mm-hmm. me tell you what your problem is, bro. I ain't trying to be Mr. Consultant. I'm just dropping some game on you. Why don't you go to these new subdivisions and start off from zero instead of starting off with a market that's already saturated. See, mm-hmm. when they build these new houses and they got yards, you go over, get over there, slide over there, put your business card on there, and say, hey, I'm your yard man. I take care of your yard. I trim 20, you know, I got your house 360 degree, uh, 365 degree, uh, days a year. Mm-hmm. Then you build your client base up. And then mm-hmm. by the time somebody else gets over there, you just scooped all that up. It's going to be hard to, but you got to make sure you're competitive. Like you can't let somebody come there and steal your clients. That's but right. you ain't never going to get no business starting trying to start where all the ponds is, the pond with all the people fishing in the same pond. You got to find a pond that everybody's not fishing in. Right. Yeah, you and I, you and I are on the, uh, think a, a lot the same way about this. I, as a gorillapreneur, I encourage uh, the gorillapreneurs to, like I said, find that niche that you can serve better than anybody else. Absolutely. Because that's going to that's gonna give you that, 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 that sure money that you can now feel comfortable investing in the growth of your business. You know, Walmart, when they were taking on Kmart, they avoided Walmart, uh, Kmart for at least five to 10 years. Wherever Kmart was, Walmart didn't want to be there. They're like, those guys I are remember giant. that. I remember that. I grew up in a small town. I can remember when Walmart showed up in our small town. We didn't have a Kmart. Walmart showed up there because they were focusing on towns that had 10,000 people or less, whereas Kmart said 25,000 or above was their limit. Walmart said, we're going to go small, but if we can make our business model work in the small markets where nobody wants to be, by the time we perfect these small markets, we can dominate the big ones. Exactly. And they actually brought that from a Chinese, uh, uh, I think it's called a one of the strategies of war, I forgot what they call it. That's a Chinese mm-hmm. strategy. I don't know if it's the art of war. Mm-hmm. One it of is, them is son. you surround your enemy in little pockets, and then you dominate them from the outside and inside because you hold them inward. And that's, that's what right. they did to Kmart. We can't compete with you head on in the major markets because you got all, all that locked up. But what we're going to do is we're going to go outside of the major markets to some of these outside communities that have a little mom-and-pop store. That's why they get a bad reputation of running – mom and pops out of business and all they did was they just circled the wagons put them out there and then people have nowhere else to go but to walmart and those communities and that's how they built up their empire right and then by the time kmart woke up 
Walmart was way too strong, had mm-hmm. a terrific inventory management system, and Walmart was running faster, jumping higher, and Kmart could not was not flexible enough. They were the giant. They were big, Absolutely. but they were not flexible. And Walmart blew right past them. And it, it's a it's a great message and lesson for our businesses if we can, you know, pull from that. And like you said, find those areas where there's nobody that's trying to dig in there. And if you can make that work and you can perfect it, and then you do a little bit of work, do a little bit of analytics. Absolutely. Um, I was telling, telling this one barbecue place in my hometown of Selma, I said, it took me 10 minutes to go dig up some analytics to find a city, cities around Alabama that look just like the one we're in in terms of the demographic makeup and income mm-hmm. makeup. Mm-hmm. But if you can, if you can serve these folks and make money, don't you think you might be able to make your business work in four or five of these other communities that look just like the one you're winning in right now? I wish so, I was a fly on the wall in that conversation. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was eye opening to them because they were like, "Yeah, you know what? We had never thought about that." And I'm going, "Guys, we got to start thinking like that." There you go again, like Mission that. Incredible. There you go again. Right. <laughs> it's, it, it 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 excites me, but it frustrates me because I'm going. We have to start thinking. We can't get happy with the six figures we're bringing in. Right. You know, we got to measure that one year, celebrate and go next year. We got to do six figures in one. The next year is six figures in two. You got to keep raising that bar mm-hmm. so that we're forced out of our comfort zone and into the next areas of success. That's what I'm talking about. And, and, and you know, you can't just, you know, I, I believe in I, I, I like that theory by Robert Kiyosaki. You heard of the cash flow quadrant theory, right? Yeah, I have. Where you say, he says there's a difference between being self-employed and being a business owner. See, you think like mm-hmm. a business owner. That's the way I like to think. Like if I buy, I was telling somebody that's in real estate, why do I want to buy a single dwelling home when I can buy an apartment complex and quadruple my money if one of them fools moves out or one of them I got evicted, I'm going to slide somebody right else in there and then I'm still keeping my money flowing. Mm-hmm. So some, still got somebody, money flowing from the other apartments. Exactly. So somebody move out your house, they do a midnight run, and you ain't got no rent coming in. Okay? That's right. So, <laughs> you may not have any refrigerator or stove. Or exactly. You take everything when they leave. Because I don't want to buy no single house. I want an apartment complex. So if somebody slide right. up in there, somebody leave, I got those uh, 40, 50 other tenants to carry that rent over, so then I just slide somebody else up in there. Right, see, right. We don't, we don't think like that. I don't think it's not we don't have it. We just never developed it, you know. Right. And, and, and part of it is other communities have had a head start in of terms of have. Yeah. having that, that kitchen room conversation where mm-hmm. dad and mom have business backgrounds and they're having those conversations at the dinner table where you get some important you know, grounding in how you're going to manage your own personal life. We aren't having as many of those types of conversations. My business partner, when we were building that fingerprint business, I went over to his house for dinner with his mom, parents, and brothers and sisters. And they were telling me about when they were, when they were younger, that that's all they talked about was money. That's it. From the time you sat down was, you know, how much money did I save today when I went shopping? How much money did I make today off of this kind of thing? How much leverage can I get off this purchase that we when we bought this building? See, that's what I'm Everything talking about. Everything was about money. 
and, and they were sitting up there each other. talking about each other. They talk about what, what what's the next what's the next power move they gonna make. Well, how they gonna go get the right. paper? See, that's, that's what right. we have to do. We can't be talking about each other at dinner. We need to talk about how we can work together. And I'm about group economics because I always think if this is a win for me, it's a win for you. Because when people mm-hmm. got money, people don't commit crime. People don't be doing stupid stuff, going to jail. Everything that afflicts us is based on economics. People right. don't go to jail when they got money, when they making a million dollars a year. People don't go to right. jail when, when, when they're being prosperous. But when you don't, people don't have money or two nickels to rub together, that's when they start getting in trouble and start doing things that are totally against what they're what they're what what they want to do, because you know, and I don't know if you've seen this brother. They've been putting him on TV. There was a brother that went to the pen. He came out of there and he started like two or three businesses. And he ended up being a millionaire. And I said, mm-hmm. man, he was hungry. So you got to mm-hmm. be hungry if you're an entrepreneur. You, it, it ain't gonna jump up in your lap. You got to go get no, it. No, you got to go get it. And it ain't going to be easy when you do get it because no, as soon as you saw that values being created, there's going to be several copycats. you got to be passionate, yeah, committed exactly. to it, and, and know that you're going to win because you're not going to rest until you find that next way to make your product better, stronger, uh-huh. faster. You know, so mm-hmm, it's, it's exactly. one, of those kind of, one of those kind of things that we've got to see ourselves as business owners because that's the way – we generate wealth, long-term wealth that we can exactly. pass down from generation to generation. And, when you pass uh, that money down, you create dynasties. You create mm-hmm. family uh, family dynasties because you ain't got to worry about sending your kids to college. They want your kids to go to their college because of the family you came from. You know, and, 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 and I believe that it's there. All we have to do is just find one within ourselves. That that Black Panther movie showed mm-hmm. us the way. All right, we have to do right. is go get it. That's all we right. got to do. If yeah, you don't know how to start a business, get a brother to help you start it. Get somebody that's been, yeah. that's been seasoned and knows what to do. I mean, I'll go in there, you know, all dry and everything. Get some, get, get, put a support group around you. That's what it's yeah. about, isn't it, Mark? You get a good support yeah. group. Yeah, got to get a good support group. And I think the one area that we have not yet quite tapped into. When I was living in D.C. back in the 90s, mm-hmm. the Million Man March uh, came to D.C. It's the first and only one that we've had. I remember. I remember. And I, at, at the time, I had a little magazine that I was running with my brother called Inform Magazine, and it was uh-huh. based in Alabama. And mm-hmm. I went around to anybody that I could find. I tried to get into Reverend Jackson's office. I was trying to mail letters to Minister Farrakhan. Oh, and trying to communicate to them was instead of having speeches at the end of the first day, take the men to the, to the football stadium and mm-hmm. let five or 10 of your best entrepreneurs pitch an idea to these million men. Now all the million men had to do was show up there with 10 single $1 bills in their pocket. Mm-hmm. And if they liked what their entrepreneurs had to say, they could buy a fractional share in that business, by putting that one dollar. See, that, that was pre-Shark Tank right there. See, you right. you on to something. That was pre-Shark Tank. Now, how much risk is it for me to give a man one dollar? Very little. Zero risk. risk. You, I spend that. You screw away one dollar breathing. <laughs> right. But if you got a million men in one place that say they are for the community, when every man puts one dollar down, that's a million dollars that could have gone into an entrepreneur. That's a million dollars of 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 of, uh, of capital, right? Capital. And that shared risk at that point 
gives that entrepreneurial chance to grow a business. But even if he squandered it and didn't grow that business, those million men are just out of one dollar individual. Just each one out of a dollar. I love how you think. I I even so, take that a step further. I think you know how we give money to the United Way at our jobs. Mm-hmm. We need to give five dollars a paycheck and put it into a black fund to fund some do venture capital for black businesses. And I ain't talking about any business. I'm talking about businesses that that got potential. And right. then you be and you've created like a shared like what you were saying. And you have mm-hmm. shares in that business. That's how that's you create right. wealth. That's exactly but, what we got to do. We got to do a hostile but, takeover of the mm-hmm. NAACP, and this mm-hmm. becomes their new mission. Because I said, I, I think Jim Brown said this. He says this is the power of the civil rights movement. We were, we, 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 yeah, we needed civil rights, but we didn't even talk about economics. See, that's right. I you finally figured out how America works. I'm 54 years old, and I finally figured out how America works. Everything is run through economics. Mm-hmm. And you, if you don't learn that lesson now, you're going to be forever doomed. Everything is run in America by economics, crime, right. politics, and everything. And what you had just said just proved my point. What if they what? had did that? Now you created new done millionaires that. and new billionaires. Yes. There you go. If they had done that, because some of the ones I had on the list of companies uh-huh. that were recommended, BET at the time was the only publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. And if you put a million dollars into BET at the time they had the Million Man March, when they sold that company for $3.4 billion, you would have gotten a tremendous return for that $1 you put in. Oh, my but gosh. A million dollars put into BET may have even helped them stay private and competed against the likes of MTV and VH1 and to go on to become remember. a 50 yes. or $20 million company, which would have changed the landscape of black media for us. So, oh, my God. Brother, you, no are, you, are, a, you, are, a, you are a pioneer just telling some of these stories. Goodness. What t- I'm curious. You, you probably want to get into this too much. Tell me what were their reactions when you approached them about this idea? Because I like to hear this. Well, what kind of, well, what kind I, of feedback did you get? I got, didn't get a whole lot of good feedback at all from that. Um, I ended up writing an editorial that uh, ran in the Washington Post because uh-huh. I was very angry at the fact that I could not seem to get through to anybody. And my editorial was very sharp about my unwillingness to want to march anymore. I'm tired of marching. What is marching doing for us right now? We are not being strategic with our marching, and we aren't shutting anything down. We're doing we, we, it for symbols. We don't own anything. Substance. We don't own right. an industry. We don't own nothing. Right. And, 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 so I'm and, saying take your dollar in, now and I make it work. In, make your dollar. I believe in economic activism, okay? Right. I'm, I ain't marching unless I'm getting some money behind it. Unless, because I'm sorry, economics drives this country. Until we understand the rules of capitalism and the rules of money, we're always going to be marching and begging, crying. And, 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 and we just have to take on a new mindset. We have to learn mm-hmm. from the past mistakes that our, that our civil rights leaders made is they didn't focus, they didn't make economics a part of the agenda. Economics right. draws everything in America. If you live in America, you have to deal with economics. That's all it is. is you mean, mm-hmm. I can't make it any plainer than that. You can't give a better example than that. I mean, no, that was an no. awesome story. You know, and I, you, you, until we get to the point where we are beating it over the heads of our kids, I, I worked at a workshop a couple of years ago in Selma, Alabama, 
where it was all young men from the fourth grade up to about the 10th grade. And we were talking about economics. And I asked them, everyone to raise their hand if they had the new LeBron shoe or the new Jordan shoe, both of them. Oh, goodness. I got to hear it. Two and $300. And hands went up. Now, Selma is not a wealthy community. The average household income is $22,000 a year. That's oh, very low. Lord. Oh, but my you goodness. But kids raising their hand that had the, had the Jordan shoe and had the LeBron shoe. Did you give them that word? Did you give them that word? Oh, I, oh <laughs> you know, I was on them at that point. But I, I, didn't, I didn't want to put them down for making that investment. I just wanted to show them that if they had put that money into a stock that paid them a dividend and they had signed up for a dividend reinvestment program, yeah. by the time they were 40 years old, they would have somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty to $30,000 from compounded interest and stock What did they say when you told them that? I got, oh, what, what kind of look did you Their get? eyes just, and I said, guys, you know what you can do with this amount of money? When you're that age, that all you did was put it in one share and signed up for a dividend reinvestment, that that would be waiting for you when you got 40 years old? And, and that's one. What if you did that to one share? Right. I said, now what if you took your birthday money and just kept buying a share at every year? Just one more share every year. Look at how fast this money compounds and grows so that by the time you're 40 years old, without even having worked a great job, you could have several hundred thousand dollars. And live off the dividends, and you ain't got to be worried about going short of some of the dividends. Yes. And when you can live off your capital like that, you can act just like Mitt Romney. You can get up in somebody's face and be as bad as you want to be because you got your own capital. Bad, can't nobody bad. control you at that point. You got your own money that's paying you. And guess what else? The government can't tax you like they're taxing everybody else because capital gains on capital is 10%. <laughs> Exactly. And if you really want to be a baller, you're going to put it in a trust fund so you can protect your Make money. Make sure your kids can get it. That's right. <laughs> so I told him, I said, God, it ain't hard to win in capitalism if you know the rules of capital. Stop buying Jordans and put it in these shares. Stop being a Stop consumer. Buying, yeah. Right. And be an investor. And by the time you get to a point where you're old enough, where you want to be mad at the, at the country and make a difference, you will have the capital to do it. You won't have to work for nobody else. You can be full-time telling the government how they should be respecting you. Because I tell you, when you have money, and this is what I keep telling a lot of these young brothers, when you have money, politics is, is second nature. Because when they see yes. who's got the money, who's got the power, that's who they listen to. That's who's making those political contributions. And if you right. don't understand the rules of capitalism, you better learn it now. Because broke people don't, make, don't influence anybody. That's why I was laughing. I mean, I don't mean to be crude, but I'm watching these people taking on Mark, Mark, uh, Mark Rubio mm-hmm. on TV and saying, why are you not listening to us when we tell you we want gun, gun control? He's telling you why he's not listening to you. This company over here gave me $3 million to be in this office. Who, NRA? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, bro, You give me $3 million, I'll, I'll change my tune. So, this has been a wonderful right. show. Oh, my goodness. We got to do a follow-up. We're going to have to do this economic, uh, what do you call it, economic uh, uh, berating. Yeah. <laughs> we need to get us, a, get, us, get us a barbershop here in Atlanta, get a few more guys in on this, and we can do this, you know, three, four times a year. Oh, bro. We, uh, you need to send me an invite on LinkedIn, bro. We're going to have to hook up. I appreciate it. Definitely. 
This has been a we wonderful show. We'll definitely do show. that. Absolutely. I want to thank you, Mark, for being on my show. I really appreciate it. Wow. That was hot. Dr. D. Anthony Miles, thank you for interviewing me on your show, Game on Business Talk. If you're in the Atlanta area, catch Dr. Miles' show every Tuesday from 12 to 1 p.m. on WBJYFM 99.1 FM. And if you're not in the Atlanta area, catch it online at WDJYFM.com. Guys, remember we're on Patreon. Patreon.com slash more. Donate to the show. A dollar an episode or a dollar a month or a one-time gift. And if you can't give and you're getting love from the show, give love back. And you can give love by sharing the show, liking the show, commenting on the show, giving us feedback on the show. Share the love and share the show. Gorillapreneurs, thank you for listening to this episode. And Scott Sullivan said it best in episode seven. Be a mace. Sharpen those spikes. And remember that if you're not breaking something, your company might be the next thing that gets broken. Thank you for listening to the Gorillapreneur, the art of waging small business warfare podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, you may also enjoy the book, Gorillapreneur, Small Business Strategy for David Wanting to Defeat Goliath. Available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Follow Mark Peterson on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Gorillapreneur. Now I want to close with a quote from the great Chinese military strategist, Sun Tzu. Victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first, then seek to win. Keep fighting, guerrillapreneurs! Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.